some fond memories. I will not forget those sights and sounds and smells and tastes anytime soon. So this will be a fun one today. Um, I'm looking forward to this chat, but first we have our tradition. Should we start with you this time? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that sounded pretty lively, that crowd as well. That, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of crowd that, you know, you showed me a video earlier that looks like a lot of fun, but I'd probably only venture into if I knew a local. Um, you know, being a as glaringly white and English as I am, I don't think it'd be a good idea for me to go into that. <laughs> lively is, is one word to say it, but yeah, well, uh, what do you got? I've got a, an O'Hara's Irish Stout today. Just Ooh, feeling a little choice. bit stouty. I do, I do like O'Hara's. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the one that people don't often think about. People often think about Guinness or Murphy's, or but O'Hara's is kind of like the the unheralded one. Yeah, yeah, I have to say, a shout out for the LCBO at Westenham 401. It's probably one of my favourites in the city now. Like Their selection of international beers is top notch. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm close to Queen West and Coxwell, or Queen East and Coxwell. And, uh, yeah, we've got some good choices, especially around Christmas, when they have all the the Christmas selectors of various breweries. They didn't have them so well this year, but anyway. Mine, let's see if you can see this. I have Eagle Bombardier, which is premium British. Lovely, lovely. It is out of Bedford. Now, where's Bedford, Dan? Do you know? Is it Derbyshire? Mm. I'm not. Oh, is it in Bedfordshire? That might that might be the giveaway. It's, it might be in the name. Uh, well, it just said Bedford, not Bedfordshire. I don't know if uh, that's the same thing. Oh no, I'm, uh, I'm being shown up for my shy geography. Codes? Oh, MK40. MK. Well, that would that be close to Milton Keynes? Which again, I think is Bedfordshire. Yeah. Apparently, this is the. It says Carlsberg Brewery, so maybe it's owned by Carlsberg too. Oh yeah, they would have bought them out, but all, all that kind of like traditional ale always reminds me of when I was a, you know, a young lad going camping with my mates, and all my mates would be like, uh, you know, they'd get their elder sibling or something like that to buy them, you know, Carlsberg lager or something like that, and I'd always say to my dad, oh dad, will you go and get me some beer, just some lager so I can go camping with my mates, and he'd always make me drink stuff like Bombardier and Black Sheep Ale and all this kind of stuff, and I'd be like, uh, all my mates would be necking bottles of lager, and I'd be there like, you know, it was kind of like, old school big bottles of ale drinking them as a you know, 14 to 15 year old lad which probably explains my appetite for ale nowadays <laughs> uh, if, if it's a British ale should I have been having this warm where did that come from or is it cask ales that are warm yeah cask ales uh, the, the, the real temperature that's supposed to be I believe is 15 degrees centigrade Celsius I mean um, so, uh, so yeah like um, I think when it's in a can but Dad used to put you know put the ales on top of the fridge and put the uh, stuff that's supposed to be cold in the fridge. But I've kind of got into just putting everything in the fridge nowadays. Maybe that's the influence of uh, Canada for oh God over almost eleven years now. Yeah. Um, so our beers have nothing to do with where we're talking about today. That audio is what we're talking about today. And if you do know your beers from this area, I will say Barena, Port Royal. And most importantly of all, Salvavida, the great, fantastic beers of Honduras. And uh, more specifically, San Pedro Sula, a name that brings tears to the eyes of Canadian soccer fans. And as we record this, they're about to play there again, which maybe this is the time, maybe not. But many bad memories for fans. But if you can separate the soccer from the times I've had there, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting place. And I, you know, four times I've been there. 
I, I, I kind of like it. You make friends after that many times and really good people. And uh, anyway, this is San Pedro Sula today, and we're going to have fun. Yeah, I mean, I don't think many of our listeners would have been there on the holidays, would they? It's not exactly the kind of place where you can, uh, you know, go to a local bar and kind of learn local swear words and all that kind of stuff. Or, you know, you can't really leave your hotel room open, can you? Um, it's not got the greatest reputation. I noticed on a Wikipedia page, just the third section on there between economy and geography was a section on crime. Yeah. Um, I believe it's a murder capital of the world. It's, it took over Caracas from Venezuela. I, th- I think then it, I think it's not anymore, but anyway. Okay, okay. It's cleaned up its act. It's, it's dropped down to well, number two. one of the times I was there, they were essentially, like, cracking down. Like, I'm talking full-on police state kind of stuff. So um, it might not be. I'm not sure what's happened in the intervening years. No, but either way, it's, a, it's an area that's... I don't know. Well, I spe- it's kind of feared. Um, you know, it's kind of like the, you know the same bracket as El Salvador. Though I was speaking to my uh, Salvadorian friend Freddie earlier today, just asking about Honduras. He said, uh, you know, a lot of the you know his mates used to go over the border and work in Honduras because there's more work. But <laughs> obviously, um, it shows you the state of El Salvador. Um, but obviously, there's been military coups. There've been serious hurricanes in Honduras. Like this is a place where the people are poor. And also the people just don't get much luck. Yeah, a lot of those caravans that, you know, get the attention when, you know, the fear-mongering from certain, you know, brand of media needs to ramp it up. A lot of them start in San Pedro Sula. And you mentioned the hurricanes. Uh, The airport, where I've been to now several times, I remember seeing the video recently of it, largely underwater, which was just incredible. And I, as I mentioned, you know, having been there four times, I've met a few friends, I messaged them to see how they're doing. And, you know, it's, uh, they were fine, their families are fine. But I think one of them had a, 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 a fruit delivery business, fruit and vegetable delivery business, and it was it was washed out. And uh, yeah, you just can't seem to catch a break, because it's an absolutely breathtaking part of the world. I mean, the city itself is not much to look at it's it's very uh you know there are many areas with abject poverty and then there are areas where it's just you know wide open roads with fast food joints and banks and uh you you know just all these big signs and billboards everywhere but you just even look outside and it's just you know lush green beauty and uh yeah if you can (laughs) escape from the reputation of it being a drug smuggling and gang hub (laughs) and murder hub because of that um it uh you know it's an area with just so much potential um and like i said i've 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 made friends there who um you know who i i still sometimes check in on and uh it would have been cool you know as we record this canada's playing there in the next little bit i tried to tried to make a go of it not able to do it this time it would have been great to see them and and, and get back there because i have you know i have fond memories of that place now i think you're similar to me in this respect where um, I've been to some places that a lot of people would probably deem quite dangerous, but like I don't really notice. You know, I kind of just get get involved and kind of enjoy it. But with you know, and probably only about maybe two or three times in my life have I kind of like looked around and thought, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be here. Um, is Honduras one of those places where you kind of have that kind of eye opening experience, thinking mm, this is a little bit dangerous? Maybe I should just be a bit careful. If here. you're if you're in the wrong place, absolutely. Um, 
you know, if 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 you don't do anything stupid, like if you are a smart traveler and you you know stay away from places where you're alone where you shouldn't be, um, you know, you're fine. But if you wander off and you know without thinking and end up in place A, B, or C, uh, you know, it's it's not going to be the best time. But um, you know, if you know what you're doing, well, not even if you know what you're doing, if you're just smart about what you're doing, um, you know, it's it's just fine. I mean, I've been there for two World Cup qualifiers. Yes, the famous 8-1 game, and then more recently the 2-1 game. I went there as a member of Canada soccer staff for the under-17 men's tournament, uh, CONCACAF championship. And in that case, you know, we were in a hotel and we had, you know, <laughs> escorts and, and, and armed guys all around us. And then I was also there for the CONCACAF U-20s in 2015, women's U-20s in 2015, which I was a little more on my own. And I was in one hotel, and, and a friend who visited, they were like, um, yeah, you should go to a different one. I mean, I didn't feel unsafe, but I deferred to their wisdom, and, you know, we found another affordable you know, place a little bit further away, a little bit, you know, in a bit of a nicer area. But, um, yeah, it, it, I didn't feel inherently unsafe. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, where I'm in hotels, sleeping on friends' places, sleeping on, crashing on friends' couches when you're visiting isn't a thing in Honduras, apparently, I've learned. I remember bringing it up and they're like, wait, what? People sleep on other people's places? That's weird. Anyway, it was one thing I learned when I was down there. <laughs> Yeah, like when no, I, I was looking at the uh, the kids section of the National Geographic website before I came on this podcast, and uh, great research. They, they were talking, yeah, yeah, great, great research. So they were talking, you know, saying that many of the people in the country were poor, and nearly half were unable to read or write. Um, but obviously, that doesn't mean that the people are rough. It doesn't mean that the people are going to be reaching for your wallet. Not in the slightest. I've found in the you know the poorest place I've been to the world, these people are the most generous and most beautiful people I've ever met in my life and they kind of make you feel embarrassed for the privileged place you come from where people are just kind of after their own you know wants basically I mean is it the same there have you just found the locals to just be extremely accommodating to you most of the time oh yeah I mean one of the that U17 men's trip a member of our of our staff or the uh, met a guy on the plane and he's like, you know, let me show you around. He was, you know, flying in. He worked in the U.S., you know, but he, he had, you know, he lived in a small town outside. And he actually had, you know, his own little farm and he employed people, his own furniture making, that kind of thing. And, you know, one day we had a day off and this guy comes in in his pickup truck and picks up a few of us. And, you know, he showed us around the area. And, um, you know, all those all those little things. You go into, you know, buy a baleada or baleadas, which is, you know, a local... Honduran food, which I can't recommend enough, by the way. Um, and, you know, people will gladly chat with you and smile. And, and, you know, in my very broken Spanish, we muddled together a combination or a conversation. And, um, you know, it, it's just, yeah, I mean, you don't even think about the inherent danger that a place has a reputation for when you're just having a nice conversation with these with these people and 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 I, I jump again to the eight one game where um you know we're we're walking around on match day around sort of this the concourse area and there's there's a woman deep frying something just with this make you know as a as a concession and 
you know, uh, you know, I smile, ask if I can take a picture. She says, sure. And she gives me a big thumbs up as she's, as she's cooking away. And she's this, you know, essentially a grandma. And, um, yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't say enough nice things about about the population and again um when when this other the other the u17 trip we're we're in this hotel and that's where i met you know i befriended a lot of the, not a lot of the people some of the staff and um you know our team liaisons and there's you know a couple nights where they're like come on we're we're going out to get a drink and they take you out and you know there, there's no danger i mean it's they're people living their lives and yeah there is a huge uh gap in in the earning power there's a huge wage gap there's there's very rich you're not very rich there's wealthy and then there's sort of abject poverty but sort of wherever you go it's there's a one thread and that's very very friendly people and when the, the Hondurans have been showing you around on these you know, days you've been lucky enough to be shown around uh, San Pedro Silo and the surrounding areas, um, what elements do they seem very proud of when it comes to their country? Good question. Um, I think I think a lot of it is 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 just they're very pr- the, you know warts and all, very proud of the part of the world they're in. Um, you know they know how beautiful it is they know they they know there are issues obviously but uh you know you're not far from from coffee growing areas in copan and um so much food is is grown there and i mean if you look at the, you know you're reading stories of a lot of the people who are you know trying to get to the us border from honduras are are farmers who are seeing their fields you know their crops wither and die due to climate change and so um there is just the possibility of this country to, I wouldn't say be self-sufficient, but they grow tons of food. They, they you know, it's one of those places where um, there's so much potential, I think, for tourism. But I think it's just, it's, it's you know, knowing that, that it's not perfect, but that people are, who are proud of, of where they're from and what they have in, in their country. And like I said, it's, it's just incredible natural beauty. Um, some really tasty produce and and just you know kindness of 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 the people yeah i'm not gonna like you know make out i'm some kind of coffee connoisseur or something like that but i did see that their biggest export was coffee and i don't ever recall having honduran coffee um so obviously there are improvements that could be made with that export process i mean did, did you try honduran coffee was it particularly good um i've never been a huge coffee drinker you know full stop but i have had it there and i have brought some back you know just buying you know bags of beans for for a friend who is a big coffee drinker and and yeah it's uh you know i mean we put up on a pedestal lousy coffee in this country like on such a high pedestal with you know burnt leavings like starbucks and general bland flavorlessness of tim hortons uh it's infinitely better it's it's just miles better um but yeah you don't hear honduran coffee as a thing but yeah it's a you know a couple of the friends who i know there uh they say yeah next time you're down we'll 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 go out to copan and 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 see where the coffee grows and uh, you know i once met a one of the times there met this this american flight attendant and he was you know from there he was buying a house there but he lived in the u.s and he's like here's my phone number you know next time you're around just let me know and and uh, we'll go out and out there and you know he also wanted to 
to show me what he was so proud of in in this country that you know he moved away from but he still considered home but uh yes coffee period good period in honduras <laughs> <laughs> now and you know we mentioned the coffee you mentioned the uh the beer earlier on and you you mentioned a food stuff i can't remember the name of it now uh, Baleada. what was the name of it what is that so you have a tortilla um and you know it's it's quesadilla like i you know once you know but it's you know in the middle you can add uh sausage or, or plantain avocado pork chicken tomato whatever you want and just sort of you know i think a lot of it is has refried red beans on the bottom as well and then you put stuff on top you fold it over and uh yeah it's um it's you know it's great drunk food <laughs> but i think even yeah i'm just sort of as 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 we do checking um uh as we do we check wikipedia for more of our research and i see in 2017 chef gordon ramsay visited honduras he ate baleadas while there and said they are the best latin american cuisine item and yeah they're uh they are really really quite good we you know a couple times you uh they're, they're cheap of course too um and uh yeah you have your options some are better than others i remember one i'm like wow this is really salty but the other one you know another one that I had was was really quite good but yeah it's uh it's the like the first thing you want to get when you uh when you're feeling a little jet lag you get you know a beer and a baleada or two yeah i mean i bet gordon ramsay was uh absolutely bowled over by the quality of the cuisine now and i bet the locals were Incredibly surprised as well to see a man who has a forehead like a drop case of deer. <laughs> oh, you bet. You know what I've heard about Ramsey is that like he got he when one he of course you said the very wrinkly forehead. Um, but very once very. His, yeah. Once his kid was like rolling a coin in the in one of the wrinkles is when he decided to have some work done. And one of the episodes of Hell's Kitchen because that was kind of our pandemic show working our way through like all the seasons of that is suddenly it became noticeable when he had work done and it's sort of like ah it was anyway <laughs> i didn't know he had work done what's it so so he's got a kind of flat forehead now and he, he looks permanently surprised well he? he smoothed out some of the wrinkles yeah it was it, it might have just had it done but yeah it uh, it was different <laughs> i'm pretty sure he was a um you know destined to be a pretty decent professional footballer and he got a um career injuries injury. I think. yeah 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 there you go little little uh you know a foodie fact for people there i mean and, and sticking on the food i mean what else they like to eat over there i assume there's quite um they've got plenty of coastlines so they must eat a fair bit of uh, seafood yeah well, i mean ro when, when people when most people go to honduras they go to roatan which is you know the big the big tourist hub and yeah i think that's where a lot of the seafood is san pedro sula is a little bit inland so um i don't remember tons but one thing i do remember that same trip um where you know the uh the guy said come on into my truck and picked us up and drove us out into the into the wilderness um on the way back he stops at a gas station and you know how they're like impulse buying items at gas stations where it's like oh i need gum or whatever they're right by the till in this case it was a bowl of avocados and i look at it nice, and I go, nice this was probably grown just up the road and um for all i know it was grown in mexico but in my mind it was grown in honduras brought it back to the hotel and at our team dinner that night i you know carved it open and dished out a few slices but i'm like yeah it was it was really quite good that's what i remember most but um unfortunately the one thing i do remember uh about food is the 
massive projectile vomiting that at the end of my first trip uh, on our way home from Honduras after the 8-1 game. Here's here's how it went. Uh, the journalists there were, were myself, Neil Davidson, Dan Girard, who I believe now works for in communications for United Health or UHN. Uh, Kurt Larson was there too. And we ate at at the hotel. I remember, I think I had, this was the night I had a tortilla soup, which I know is Mexican, but it was still good. The next day, I as we start to get ready to go to the airport, we have, there's a shuttle to the airport. I just feel like a metal bar is just shoved across my stomach. And, you know, I sort of take a minute and go, okay, that was weird. Um, and it's on and off until I board the plane. And our first flight was to Atlanta. And on takeoff, suddenly it hits me. And I grab the sick bag in front of me. And, you know, this contains detail, but it was almost full within about 15 seconds. Like, it was... My word. Yeah. Um, And then I go to the bathroom. I I checked it out. Um, And then, fortunately, right by the bathroom, there were three open seats. The whole row was open. So I just lay down there. Um, They brought me, like, a you know, a pink lemonade or something to try to make me feel better. But I just lay there and for like the entire flight. And so I'm feeling a bit better. I go back to sit down and this was several hours later. It's a a couple hour long flight to Atlanta. And I was sitting next to Kurt and he goes, I thought you were in the bathroom the entire time. And I went, if I was in the bathroom for four hours, I'd probably be dead, but thanks for your consideration. Anyway, so I'm feeling okay, but then we start to descend, and stuff comes up again. And I don't know if it was just the up and the down motion that did it to my stomach, but it just jarred it. Um, and so our layover in Atlanta, I'm just lying on the floor, um, you know, essentially just recovering from the trauma I just endured. Dan had some work to do. He was also on our flight, and he came over as I'm lying on the floor, and I just remember looking up going... Hey, Dan. And he's like, what's up with you? And I went, probably food poisoning. Um, And so, again, on takeoff to Toronto, um, again, it happens. And, for like, there's nothing else in my stomach anymore. So, barely, anyway. And then on landing, once again, I feel it. And, but fortunately, there's nothing. And so, I just kind of dry heaved, never threw up. And considered that a victory for the entire time. So, yes, yeah, it, was, it was a combination of seeing Canada lose 8-1 after covering every game up to that point. Like, two years of my work explodes, and then my stomach explodes the next day. So, um, I, I, I don't want to blame Honduran food for that, because that would be wrong. Uh, but it might have been just that batch of whatever I had at the hotel the last night. That is rough. And especially <laughs> after the... Uh... Especially after the eight-one game, which I, I'm going to have to get you to go into detail with, and probably you know get you get you crying about um, <laughs> since it was such a, a de- for our you know, non-Canadian listeners, it was uh, one of the most devastating moments, if not the most devastating moment in Canadian football history. Um, but before we you know talk about football, you know we always have to leave that sort of last, don't we? <laughs> you got to tell me about nature, Gav, because you oh. told me this place has so much potential. Yeah. I know there's a hell of a lot of diversity over there with the mountains and the coastline. Um, I think it's split into four or five different zones, basically, on what the ecosystem's like. I mean, just tell me what you saw, 
did you go out uh, checking out some birds? Yeah. Um, did you go? No, I, no, I don't know. They just got to even have jaguars wandering around, don't they? It just sounds like an amazing place. Yeah, that's 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 the dream is to see them one day. Um, you know, from a safe distance, of course. But no, I mean it's it's it, the, the city itself is just surrounded by lush, thick greenery. And um, that same U seventeen trip where the local took us out in his truck, we also had another day off where I think the staff was kind of trying to look for you know, what we could do with players on a day off. And we went out to this spot where, um, uh, you know, there was a place trying to build up, a, you know, a little bit of a tourist attraction where they had these very nicely appointed little little bungalows essentially built. And, you know, nice waterfalls nearby. And, and it was, you know, it was a place I'd consider going for a bit of an escape. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's become a... The last two times, after it's twice in a row, I consider it a bit of a tradition where um, on the hill surrounding, you know, next to the city, there's a big Coca-Cola sign. It's not like a billboard, but it's like actual letters, Coca-Cola, C-O-C-A-C-O-L-A. And he always, like, it's, it's the landmark. It's the Hollywood sign of San Pedro Sula. And there is a hiking trail that gets you up there. And... Um, before the last men's world cup qualifier where they lost 2-1 i believe that was 2016 um and then the time before that there was a morning where i went okay i'm gonna hike up it and so you find the trail you hike up it it's it's paved for some of it but yeah i mean i remember there's one time this lovely beautiful large snake was crossing the path in front of me a little further along there was a toucan in the tree um and then once you get to the top i call it the roof of san pedro sula it's just a beautiful view of the entire area the coca-cola signs next to you but then you look off over over the area and um yeah i mean if the the wildlife the, the bird life of course me being me is there's there's quite variety i'm sure i added you know several species to my own life list but um yeah i mean you know with ecotourism being such it is such as it is and more people sort of being drawn to that there's lightning in a bottle there some way um it's just a matter of of divesting itself of the reputation. Now, I know they had an election recently where the new president is the wife of the former president who was overthrown in a coup. Um, and she replaces a guy who I believe was on the, you know, FBI's most wanted list for aiding and abetting drug trafficking. So um, maybe <laughs> there's optimism. But, yeah, I mean, it's one of those places where um, – you know, set me up on a trail somewhere and, and, and I'll hike for hours. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just, I've, you, you scratch the surface with, with what you've been there. And yeah, I'd love to, to sort of head more towards the coast and, um, see what that's like and, 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 and see more because yeah, I mean, it is like you get there and the first impression you get is, wow, this, this area is, is this, this beautiful deep green. No, no. I mean, you meant my Salvadorian mate, Freddie, said that about the election and stuff like that and how things are looking up since they elected a lefty. And, you know, hopefully that's going to be the end of corruption at the end of all this, this trafficking and stuff. You know, fingers crossed. This is a this is a time when, you know, the country can thrive and maybe it can start to compete with places like, uh, you know, Guatemala that does a little bit better for tourism. And Coast, Costa sure Rica got... too. Costa Rica and, 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 yeah. and Panama in a way are, are very much sort of havens of of stability and Belize as well. 
yeah, yeah. So hopefully, you know, this is their opportunity to catch up. I mean, um, uh, I suppose we should uh, reluctantly move on to football. <laughs> uh, so, so for for our non-Canadian listeners, can you describe um, the magnitude? of that game against the, the infamous game against Honduras um, the expectation um, yeah just uh, uh, not less about your experience just like set the scene about how important the game was firstly for Canadian football yeah I, I mean that first time where I was trying to qualify for uh, South Africa wait no South Africa Brazil wait no where was 2014 Brazil Brazil I was trying to qualify for Brazil and uh, Canada hadn't even qualified for the final round in the old qualifying format where there was the hex since the 1998 cycle. So it was, it was a long time coming. And in many ways, you know, I could, you suppose you could say Canada was, was maybe overachieving a little bit. Um, in the fact that they were close to where they were, um, all they needed was a point, the final game of this, the semifinal round of qualifying, but, it was a point away in Honduras, and if there's one thing that Canada's known for, it's it's absolutely laying eggs in all over Central America. Cannot get results, cannot get ties, cannot get wins. You didn't expect it to be this bad, though. Um, it ended up, Canadian fans will know, 8-1. It got off to a convincing enough start where I think it was Toast St. Ricketts hit the post a couple minutes in, and he suddenly think, okay, this is a game, but then... You know, it's 35 degrees with humidity. They stick the game in the middle of the day for a reason. The president declares a national holiday, um, and people had been there for hours, and so they were in a frenzy. And so by the time kickoff happens, it's it's unlike anything you've ever experienced. And, you know, even after after a promising start, then the first goal goes in. And the second goal goes in, and then and so on and so. Forth. And I was I had been the only journalist as a freelancer, covering every qualifier, every friendly of that cycle, and this is two years of my own work, you know, blowing up in front of my face. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there was a Sportsnet crew there as well. They they went all in on it because the previous game against Cuba in Toronto, they'd gotten big numbers, and they sent a crew down. Um, I think they were even on the Canadian charter. And, um, you know, to see it end so spectacularly poorly was, you know, stuff you'll never forget. And I mean, we had gotten there hours in advance and people were there early and, um, you know, everything from the packed house just surrounding us to, you know, guys with the largest assault rifles I've ever seen standing nearby to, um, you know, every move, every sound, the Canadian players coming out to just check out the field was met by this, these rapturous boos. And uh, the one thing you love about Central American games is when there's a shot that's close, not on target, just off target, but close. It's just the as one, the fans just saying, ooh, you know, it's just, oh, that was close. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's what sticks with you. And, and you know, the second time, I mean, there were those youth tournaments that I, you know, had, had been to, but um, they were in largely empty stadiums. And in the result of, in the case of the under 20 women's event, they had to move it to like essentially a high school because um, the fields were waterlogged and they had to move it to a turf place. Um, but that second time that the, the men's team played there was different when Canada goes up a goal. Um, 
and shocks everybody, but it was still the same, the same frenzy, the same buzzing, the same, that noise you, you heard off the top of our recording. Um, it's not just the 90 minutes it's in between it's before. Um, and then, yeah, that eight, one game, the, the, the party continued. And, uh, you, you know, since it was our first time there and, and, you know, we sort of have the fear of God put in us, given the reputation of the city, when we're standing there waiting for a taxi cab after for at least half an hour, you know, the doubt in the back of our minds goes, if we were standing outside in Canada had gotten the result, uh, would would we be as safe? But you know that was our own uh, our own paranoia. But yeah, I mean it, it's it's something that that hits every sense, everything, taste, smell, touch, all of it. And it's um, until you experience it, there's you know you go to any game in North America, uh, you know even even in a lot of places in Europe, and it's just it's just not it's not even on the same radar. I've been to Wembley Stadium, uh, you know eighty some odd thousand doesn't even compare to, you know, 40,000 at the Estadio Olimpico Metropolitano in San Pedro Sula. Yeah, so this is by far the greatest advantage you've ever seen a fan base create for their team. Absolutely. Um, It's just, you know, I don't, you know, (laughs) things like fire codes uh, are just non-starters. I mean, they cram every single inch. I mean, we're, we're sitting there and, you know, there is Wi-Fi, and I know I've you know said Wi-Fi is the big the big thing you need whenever you're in these places. Um, there's Wi-Fi when you show up, and it's an open air stadium. But by the time they fill in, it's gone. Like it, there's just it, I don't know what it does to the signal, but there's no connecting. And so, um, and then yeah, you have to get there early, otherwise there's no way you make it to the the press row that they have. Um, it's just too full and and too loud and people are you know it's it's a party for hours hours and hours and hours the one thing i do regret is that i haven't you know i never really experienced the outside part before coming in we just kind of got in um but it's uh yeah it's the, the those of us who covered the 8-1 game i think we've referred to ourselves as veterans of san pedro sula uh and for a reason i mean i i can only imagine what a guy like arash madani was feeling standing on the sidelines because we we didn't get that part but um you know it's it's just surreal no no it's it sounds you know, like my absolute dream and and how early are these fans getting to the ground because you know i know that in, in europe well, not. I don't say. I don't say Europe generally. But certainly in England, people just kind of turn up for you know ten minutes before kickoff. But I know some countries like to build the atmosphere sometimes hours before kickoff. I mean, how early are these fans getting in and it's, making a racket? It, it's hours. It's hours. I mean, it, it also you know it also helps when it's essentially a national holiday. And I still have I still have a newspaper from the day after the eight one game, and I still have newspapers from before the last time the men's national team played there. And and that second newspaper that I have on the back is literally an invitation from the president of the nation to come join us in watching the game at, at such and such a place. And, um, but yeah, I mean, they're outside the stadium, they're inside the stadium and it's, you know, there, there's loud music, there's everything, there, there's sponsors stuff going on and it's all just to get people 
frenzied by the time kickoff happens. And it almost, you know, it reaches this crescendo of noise that by the time kickoff happens, they're at their game. And it's not like, you know, you go to North America and gates open an hour before and people filter in. And especially, you know, you go into like a TFC or whatever game and it's 15 minutes into the game and fans are finally in their seats. This is, this, they're come and they're ready. And they are absolutely ready. And we, you know, with the times we've been there, uh, you know, it's a very, of course, car centric kind of city and we have to take a cab there. But, um, you know, there's traffic back when we start to get going from our hotel, which is which is hours before the game. No. And when I mentioned before that, you know, when you showed me the video of where most of the racket comes from, um, am I correct in saying that I'd probably be best there with a local? Because, you no, know, if I went in there on my own, would I survive? Probably. Um you know, there is, um, you know, made sure of looking around it and there are, you know, there are weapons checks and everything outside the ground. And so people who are in there, they're, they're there for the game. Um, there are no, you know, there's, there are no shenanigans. There's nothing untoward going on. May, of course, you know, to feel a little more secure, go with someone, you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'll never, you know, the one story that I stick with is, you know, when, um, when Canada scored their one goal against uh, in the eight one game, it was a free kick that I think Ian Hume converted. Uh, yeah, it when was. The free, yeah, when the yeah. free kick was drawn, of course it's five six whatever nil at this point. Uh, Kurt Larson, who was at the Toronto Sun at the time, he stands up, arms outstretched, and just shouts "Hey!" at the top of his voice, and you know the fans, a lot of them just turn around and look at him, and we all just start laughing. Like everybody just bursts out laughing, and you know you have to wonder if things would change if you know the res- the scoreline was was different. But um, you know even that that two one game because we're right with the fans too. Like we're the right there, and you know it might just be that we had heavily armed military police right around us. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I never felt like it was in any risk really. No, and just the second the two one game was in uh, twenty sixteen, wasn't it? And that's I think that's when perhaps a few green shoots of this exciting generation um, of the Canadian men's team started to show. Um, probably showing the scoreline when it was just two one. Um, did it feel like would it, would a crowd even livelier for that one because it was a closer game? I mean, like you no, know, like when it was like you no, know, with the other game when it was like you know seven one eight one, did the fans kind of like? Yeah, it would take the foot off the gas a little bit because it was kind of it wasn't a really close game, and like with the two one game, was it a bit you know like more intense? Yeah, well, I mean, I just remember uh, it. It was, yeah. I mean, it was, it was. You know, you were just sort of okay. Let's get this to the finish line. They might have been embarrassed at the score line too, just how lopsided it was the first time. But um, you know, when the Canadians went off the field at, at halftime, and there is that reputation of fans throwing stuff, and I think they they were when it was at, at halftime. It was still one one. And I remember Scott Arfield, you know, about as Scottish as can be, but he, uh, you know, when he played for Canada, Arfield was was always gracious and with his time. And we said, hey, you got a minute to chat? And he'd say, absolutely. Uh, but he, he had no fears getting into it with some of the fans. He was pointing at them. He obviously was saying something to him. He, not like he climbed into the stands or anything because – at the stadium, there's essentially a moat and a fence around it, so you're not getting in. But he, you know, he he was he was given the gears to a certain supporter section, and Canada, I think, even later got fined when they were late coming back out onto the field. 
um, because I don't think because I think they were worried of you know fans doing stuff. So it was it was on a knife edge, and yeah, it was certainly um, the second time that crowd there was there was more relief because um they had the result they needed that 2-1 win they went on to play mexico and you know they just needed a tie against mexico while canada beat el salvador wasn't enough mexico kind of well let's just say they took their foot off the gas and 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 didn't really put in tons of their best effort against honduras and you know then people sort of say afterwards yeah the mexican and honduran coaches are great friends but Anyway, but yeah, they had done their job, and there was there was certainly more relief. There was certainly more tension uh, with that one that second time. No, it's it's just um, they they care so deeply about football. And I think people would probably say, "Oh, Honduras, are, you know, kind of overachievers in the game." Um, you know, given that they, I don't, I don't think outside of um, the Americas, they don't they don't really like create much of an impression in Europe and stuff like that, but. When you've witnessed the passion that you've seen, you know, it, it probably doesn't come as much of a surprise that they've been these players that have, you know, like Maynor Figueroa, Wilson Palacios, who've had really good careers in the Premier League. Um, it probably comes to, you know, not much of a surprise here that they have consistently made World Cups, you know, fairly regularly. Um, you know, this is a, a country that, miles above any other sport, just lives and breathes football, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... Yeah, you mentioned you know guys like Figueroa and Palacios. They, th- those are guys who are tailor made essentially for the the physicality of the English game. But they, uh, yeah, I mean this is this is the sport, and I, I think also you know they don't really register in other places because well, partly they have that that reputation of of being one of the teams that like to embellish a little more than others, and you, you know there have been some theatrical plunges and rolls and waving of the hands and uh drama at that end but there is still so much talent in that game and they they do have uh of course that you know the league of theirs with Motagua and olympia teams that that tend to do well um in in concacaf competitions and um yeah i mean it's you don't really see i mean if you think about other sports it's you know you don't tend to see hondurans really excelling in in many other sports other than soccer not that i can think of course i you know i'm i'm no expert by any stretch but uh at least when i think of honduran sports i think of that national team and and they're they can be a tough team to beat obviously right now they're they're struggling but you just kind of feel like it's a a matter of time before they they sort of make their steps back and 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 reassert themselves as one of the the stronger teams in the region and how, you know, because you've gone there and covered youth tournaments as well, and when, you know, people we've had on before onto this podcast and yourself have been to youth tournaments, my question is often similar, and it's blunt, and it's, do they care? Um, because, you know, in England I know that the, you know, people don't really care that much for youth sports. Canada, it's a, people care a lot more. It really surprised me, actually, how much people care about youth sports in Canada. People in England don't really care. Um, I mean, what was the appetite when you went over there for... It, I think it was the uh, the Women's Under-20 Championship, the CONCACAF 1, and the uh, Under-17 uh, Men's Championship. I mean, how much did people care about those tournaments? Not much, um, to be fair. Probably even less for the Women's U-20s. I mean, like I said, that Women's U-20s was... was pretty much side railed when 
pitches were just absolutely waterlogged from heavy, heavy rains that came through. So um, most of it was at essentially, like I said, a secondary school where there was no, you know, no attendance essentially except for parents and uh, facilities were minimal. But that was mostly improvised because, you know, I don't think they, they foresaw something that crazy happening. Um, oh, yeah. And then I think the, the Morazan, which is the smaller stadium, um, its field was also damaged because there was a, I think it was Aventura, which is a bachata group, very popular one uh, that performed. And it essentially did a number on the field. So they couldn't use that either because, of course, it was wet and, you know, wet plus musical audience destroys a field. Um, but, yeah, for the under 17s. Not really. Um, you know, there were there there were a few crowds that came out. Not, you know, when the Canadian team got results in Honduras, they picked up a few wins, I believe, and and came one game. They lost in the semifinal to Costa Rica, which denied them a spot in the Under Seventeen World Cup. Um, you know, it was funny about Canada gets result in Honduras, and it's like. Yes, but it's it's not the same. But yeah, but it, yeah, and, and so so no is the short answer. Uh, but yeah, that women's that women's tournament. I think they wanted they have these events to try to kickstart some interest. But um, I'm not sure that the Honduran FA has has really done much since then to sort of invest more in the women's game, which which was a shame because I do remember there were one or two players who were, you know, admittedly out of the US, but they uh they had some potential. So through your so, so through your visits uh to this absolutely fascinating country, do you have like one enduring memory that you you think of the most or you, you know it's a story that you retell the most about your times going over there? Uh yeah. Um the the under 17 tournament we, you know, when I was talking about being smart in uh, in where you go, um, I, I, I don't think one of the training fields was in one of those smart areas because we went by, I'm pretty sure we went by this notorious prison one day, and I think they were selling hammocks out front that people had made. And, you know, a couple days later, again, I'm... I'm potentially getting things wrong but in my in my mind we went by this prison a few days later there's a massive prison riot and something like 16 inmates killed because in the prisons in honduras the gang there's still gangs like they still have their you know representation so to speak um and i remember one of our guys going to one of the the escorts that you know was there and he was hey were you there and he goes yeah yeah i was there and it's just like surreal so it's you know, it's, 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 I wouldn't say it's twilight zone kind of stuff, but it's just, you know, we're here for soccer and, you know, life for people in this part of the world is a little bit more real than, you know, maybe those of us who have lived somewhat privileged, you know, semi-charmed lives. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just hard to separate from we're here for a soccer tournament and, and there's this real shit going down. <laughs> like it's, it's just heavy stuff. Um, and I do have a picture somewhere and I just, I, I'm not sure if I still have it. It was from a tra that, that same training session where we went by this prison and it was one of our military escorts. Um, he's standing there with his semi-automatic rifle and there's a soccer ball at his feet. Like he was, he was just playing around with the ball at his feet and, um, 
I took a picture of it, and I, I really want to look at it again. But it's it's just one of those moments where that, that kind of encapsulated it, where it's this, you know, I don't want to say lawless because it's not, but, but you know, burgeoning police state. And at the same time, it's 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 just soccer. No, that's incredible. No, have a, have a dig around for that photo, see if you can find it. And then, yeah. uh, you know, by the time that listeners hear this podcast, mm-hmm. if Gav found it, it will be on his Twitter is it Gavin at Gavin L Day or Twitter? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, at Gavin L Day. So if he finds it, um, it'll be on there. And if he doesn't find it, he's the biggest you no know, disappointment to all of us, basically. So <laughs> that's how it goes. So, so I suppose uh, I have to you know finish off. I think because I think we're ready to finish off here with the, with the the generic question is: Would you recommend Honduras and perhaps San Pedro Sula in particular to you know for a visit? If, if for the experience, not for faint of heart traveler, because, you know, if you're someone who well, I mean, if you're listening to me, you're probably knowing how much I feel about the, the cushy resorts and how they're not for me. Um, uh, so, you, you know, if you're just going to you if, if you're expecting that, you're likely just going to be sitting in your hotel. And there are some nice hotels there, obviously, because there are there are businesses there. But, um, you know, some some quite large businesses anyway um if you're expecting you know all kinds of of first world amenities you're not going to have it you're going to be sitting in your hotel hiding in fear but if if you're not afraid to venture um and to be curious to try the food to meet the locals know where you're going be aware of that um you will and um yeah and so yeah, I I am disappointed that I'm not able to uh, to get back again this time, um, and I do wonder when it's going to be again because obviously you know I'm I'm not doing tons of soccer these days. There is also no uh, potentially no World Cup qualifying in in for 2026 if if Canada does in fact get that automatic berth. Um, so it's it's a place that I would go again. Um, and yes to going with a heavy, heavy, heavy asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, it sounds right up my street, but perhaps not with uh, the missus and two young girls. Probably not the good timing now, but maybe when I'm older, let's see what happens. Might be a very different country then, though, now they've got a decent government. Well, they, well it's, it's early days. We'll see if it is a decent government first. <laughs> Yeah, true, true. No, no, yeah, we've definitely seen many, many a false promises with lots of governments. There we go. And are we, and are we wrapping this up now, Dan? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, um, you know, to say that, again, a massive gap between our uh, two podcasts, I think we kind of optimistically said before Christmas, oh, yeah, we'll rattle a few out now. Uh, wishful thinking. Um, I think we're going to be able to do an extra one maybe two if we stretch ourselves before you get on Olympic duty. So I look forward to those. Perhaps we'll get a guest on. Um, but yeah, thank you yeah. everybody for listening. And also if you visited somewhere interesting and you are fairly interested in yourself, well, honestly, we might have you on the podcast. Just send us a message or you know, send us places that you'd like us to chat about or find somebody to chat about and we'll, we'll, we'll try and be as accommodating as possible. Here, here. Well said, Dan. And so yes, uh, that's that's Dan, the former board member of Howland FC, <laughs> and uh, love saying that. 
And I'm Gavin Day, and uh, yeah, we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. Cheers.